Hello, late night listeners. Uh, this is Brian, and I wanted to let you know that we have a Patreon. It's a really fun thing. It's a great way to support the show, and it gets you access to all kinds of exclusive stuff. We have exclusive mini episodes. We have videos of me, for example, writing music for various things of the show. Leighton's doing all sorts of stuff, and it's just a really fun community. You also get access to our Discord if you sign up for our $5 a month tier or up. So uh, if you like the show and you like what you hear, please check us out over on Patreon. It's really a great way to to support us. Thanks so much. And enjoy Late Night with Brian Wecht. It's my Don Pardo impression. Did we talk about this with Gene? Did I mention in San Aquarium with Gene? Insane Aquarium? No, I've never even heard of that. Gerard, have you heard of that? I don't know. I have never heard of that. No, Insane Aquarium. It's it's an old like pop cap game um, that I really loved as a kid. You have it's it's like a clicker kind of game where it's just like you have an aquarium and you get fish that do different things and the fish shit out money and you click on the money and you can buy guns and stuff (laughs) Um, because they're also aliens and you have to shoot the aliens. Anyway, it's a very stupid game and I hadn't played it since I was a kid and it was on sale on Steam for like $2. So Uh I bought it and I've been playing in San Aquarium. And there's just such a such a delightful quality to playing a thing that you played as a kid and as a child, you're like, God, this is like so future. This this looks beautiful. Look at this. And looking at it now, it's just like, oh, this is the crunchiest shit I've ever seen. <laughs> this is a bygone era. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh it was designed by George Fan, who went on to develop Plants vs. Zombies, obviously, with PopCap. So that's like Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the only thing I know PopCap from is Plants vs. Zombies. I, I'm sure I'm probably being very insulting to them because they have a million things, but that's yeah, the main bejeweled thing. peggle. Zuma. Oh, they're Bejeweled, uh, too. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Uh, Bookworm, which was my favorite word game that you literally can't can't buy anymore, which I'm so bummed out by. What was Bookworm? It's a good game. It was sort of like Tetris, but with like a scrabbly element, so in, or, or Bejeweled, I guess. So you're trying to you know connect words, and they disappear, and you don't want it to fill up too much. It was really nice. Yeah, their first game was literally Bejeweled. Oh, wow. God, can you imagine just knocking it out of the park? So that was like... 15 years ago? More? The year 2000. Oh my God. 20 years ago. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Insane. Well, that makes me uncomfortable. (laughs) I was uh, 14 years old when Bejeweled came out. Woo! Oh my God. I don't want to think about that. And I was (laughs) 25. Fuck. Oh man. And I was was three. (laughs) (laughs) three-year-old puzzle champ just fucking going at it. (laughs) During that era, I was just playing shitty dinosaur PC games for kids where it's like, click on the fossils to advance to the next level. (laughs) That was, must be 2000. That's Half-Life, right? When did Half-Life come out? Half-Life came out in 1998. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, Jesus. In the grand tradition of what I always do, I waited several years to play the game so it was cheap enough for me to afford and then played it probably summer of 2000 and i i just couldn't believe i mean people have been talking about it for years i just could not believe it It was like the first kind of big video game after i took a break because of college and grad school and stuff like that that i played again and it just like blew my mind yeah there's some graffiti in my neighborhood where somebody just (laughs) put the the half-life symbol on the ground it's like, I respect this. Have you guys seen the the Half-Life mod you can do where you can replace all the audio? Like, it's real easy to find. 
Have you seen this? No. no. So apparently it's like if you if you you know have it on some PC or whatever, you can just search in the directories for uh, this is probably online somewhere. Ross taught me about this. Uh and you can just see exactly what sound files go with, you know, whatever, like getting eaten by a head crab or whatever. And then you can just put your own in there and mod Half-Life with all your own audio. I'm sure people have been smarter about that than I can think of at this moment. There's a uh, an, um, a Half-Life mod where you and your friends, like one person plays in VR and the rest of your friends play as the NPCs. Really? And you just walk <laughs> around and you create your own storylines and people on, on Twitch stream this and they RP the whole thing and it's it's stupidly funny. Like it should not be funny and they have the tools to just mess with the game and assets that don't exist start popping up. Like it's, it's madness. That's awesome. Yeah. Creativity and that kind of stuff always, always blows me away. It's just insane. Oh, is it the VR quest port? I'm assuming. I think so. Probably. That's awesome. Yeah. That's why I've never played half life. I had a friend who's roughly my age, you know, mid forties ish text me literally two days ago. Dude, have you ever heard of ASMR? I just found out about it and it's blowing my mind. <laughs> in what direction was uh, it blowing his mind? He just, in the like, wow, people will do anything online these days. And I was like, if you think this is an example of extreme bullshit online, like, first of all, it's a huge community. There's so much more. Oh, yeah. It's a fucking industry. Literally, right before we started recording, I saw someone post about there's someone on TikTok who is dancing to Excel tutorials, basically. She's like showing you how to do various you know things in Excel while dancing. And it's like, that's so much more obscure than fucking ASMR, which at this point seems like a totally normal thing everyone does, at least to me. Oh, man. On YouTube alone, there are communities of of things that you would never think that are communities. One of the examples I always bring up is there is a, a sleep product community on YouTube that all they do is talk and review sleep products from sleep apnea masks to mattresses to pillows to sheets and there's just a whole there's tons of creators who they all collab they all know each other and they just talk about sleep products that's awesome i need to look this up sleep product do you remember any names of the channels i don't i went down the rabbit hole because when i bought my house last year or two years ago i was trying to find a good mattress because you know, you listen to so many podcasts and NPR and all this stuff, and they they all have the same, you know, Casper and yep, yep. Purple and Lisa. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to go down that rabbit hole, but the risk of that is you don't know once you buy it. You buy it, it comes to your house, you try it for 90 days, but 90 days isn't enough in my opinion because this is like no. your mattress for the next five years maybe or three years however long it is yeah and so uh and they're expensive it's not like you know you're, you're spending anywhere from 500 to, to 1200 bucks on these on these online mattresses and so uh i just went online and i found like three or four creators who like some of them were cross promoting each other like, appearing in collabs with each other talking about the mattresses and some even referencing other creators videos about what they thought and I, I I went down the rabbit hole and it was it was very fascinating and it just kind of opens your eyes that you can really do anything nowadays and 
have a community there. Yeah, you find your niche. I went through the same thing recently because we also got our house a few years back and had to get a, a mattress. And it was like actually terrifying. It felt like a major purchase. It somehow felt bigger than a car because you, like, you use it every day, right? Like a car, maybe you use most days, but mattress literally every day. It seemed like everyone just had an opinion. And because a mattress is so idiosyncratic, other people's opinions don't really matter that much. Like It's like you said, Gerard, we, like, you just need to try it. If it doesn't work, you've dropped whatever, a grand, and then you're out all that money. Um, yeah. Yeah, I I went to an actual like mattress store one of the first days that I moved to LA to buy one, and it's just like, all right, I'm gonna throw myself down on this one. Yeah, that feels about the same as the last five. Yeah, and they just try to upsell you, and the dude upsold me on like, well, for only X amount of dollars more, you can get the remote operated bed where you can raise and lift. And I was like, she yeah, no. whiz, sounds cool. And then I got it and I've never, I used it once and it hurt my back so bad because <laughs> I fell asleep when it was in one of the positions. And it's like, well, okay, this is useless. I should just be like every man I've ever dated and fucking put it on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> Upon looking up sleep product review on YouTube, one of the first things that comes up is a uh, product review for Vicks Z-Quil Sleep Aid. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like, I, I the only way I want that video to exist is recorded while on Vix Z Quill sleeping. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, hey guys, what the fuck is up? I took too much Z Quill. <laughs> I'm gonna order shit on eBay. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> is there a thing where people just record themselves sleeping? There must be, right? That seems obvious. You know, it's funny on Twitch there is a no sleeping policy, but people do it all the time. People will just watch you sleep and then they'll donate to you to wake you up. There's a no sleeping policy? Yeah, you're not allowed to fall asleep on Twitch. That's wild. Like, have people been banned because of that? Uh, back in the day, yes. Nowadays, I don't know if they still enforce it as much. But it was, it was a big issue before because what streamers would do is they would do 24-hour streams and then their fans would just donate and give bits to them while they were sleeping. They figured out, oh, I can just keep streaming and make money even when I'm sleeping. That's wild. Twitch was like, that's weird and not cool, so don't do that anymore. Huh. I've seen a lot of smaller creators do it because, you know, they don't get seen by uh, the Twitch staff as yeah. often as, as some of the other guys. But it's bizarre. <laughs> if you can think of it, chances are someone's done it. <laughs> it's uh, it's like that, Vol you know, the famous Wolfpack album on Spotify. Do you know about this? No. So back when early days, Spotify, this band Wolfpack, who's a great band, like legit great band. I really like Wolfpack. Yeah, they're amazing. They realized that the way Spotify paid out, they could just basically upload tracks full of silence and get paid. So they uploaded an album called, I think, Sleepify and asked all their fans to just stream it while they were asleep, like on repeat. <laughs> and they had some huge payout. Brilliant. I love that like letter of the law type thing. It, it you know, when no one's actually getting hurt. Yeah, that Nathan for you level. <laughs> yeah. That's that's such a don't hate the player, hate the game situation where it's like hundred percent. There are so many other bad actors out there doing worse things on Spotify's platform. Yeah. And here you have a band who's just like, We 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 know the system, we figured it out, we're gonna we're gonna do what everyone else is doing. I don't know. That that to me is a good a good bit to just be okay with. Yeah, totally. Especially when the Spotify payout is so small anyway per stream. I mean, you're like it can add up over time, but you know, you don't make a lot of money on Spotify except in the aggregate. So I'm totally down like as a way of being like basically in protest, kind of like you said, Gerard, 
hey, up this a little bit, and then we wouldn't have to do this bullshit. Yeah. You know, Brian, I've always wanted to ask you, um, yeah. you know, when I did my B3 album with Jake Kaufman and all the boys, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, Nate. It's a great album. Oh, thank you. We're working on a second album right now. Oh, awesome. That's rad. I, I noticed, you know, because this is my first, you know, album. You know, I, I've been a musician my whole life, but this is my first album under the guise of being a quote unquote influencer. So to have people actually buy my music and stream it, it's been, you know, an honor. And I'm sure that's that's what it's been like for you with Starbomb and just Sex Party and and for sure. All that stuff. But have you noticed a shift from like 2015 to now in terms of the the revenue going from like purchasing an album to streaming an album because I've noticed that on my analytics in 2015 people were buying the music all the time and last year most of my sales came from people streaming the music and people were streaming in 2015 but it just seems like in the last five years you know you're talking about shifts like people have just really embraced the Apple Music, the Spotify's, the YouTube music side of things. And I was just curious to see if that was something that you similar have seen in your side of stuff. 100%. So NSP is weird. I don't remember if you guys did this with Big Bad Bosses, but we sign the CDs whenever we sell them. Starbomb did that too. And so we have like a big part of our business is selling those signed CDs. For now, that's every album release. So for now, let's take that off the table in terms of the data you're talking about. Yeah. But in terms of digitally, no one is buying the digital albums anymore. And it's all streaming digitally. Interesting. It really went from like... A few years ago, and it's like, yeah, you know, a little bit of money is coming in through Spotify to now that is, except for the signed CDs, Spotify is far and away how NSP and Starbomb make most of their power money on music sales. So yeah, I, I 100% noticed that. Wow. And it's like, interesting. I totally get it. I mean, I use Spotify all the time. I'm just constantly streaming stuff. The nice thing is as, you know, having the communities we all have, like we have that fan base that will buy the signed CDs. Some people still buy physical CDs just to have them. That number has really fallen off a cliff in the last couple of years. It's maybe a couple of people. They don't make CD players anymore. Right. Like cars are starting not to have them anymore. What, totally. What are you supposed to do? Yeah. Yeah, it's like past the aux cable. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's no place to play them. Some people do buy them, you know, as just a way of supporting us, which is great. I mean, I'm sure, you know, you guys both feel this way. Literally anything anyone does to support us, I'm thrilled about. And sometimes people are like, oh, I feel bad. I couldn't do more. No, like it's all, no matter what you do, it's, it's a huge help. But the signed CDs have stayed pretty constant for us over the years. I mean, it's, it's a smart way to incentivize it. Yeah, we kind of fell into it. I can't remember. I think it was maybe the third album was the first time we did it. And we did a limited number. And then, oh, and then we did it with pre-orders and for under the first cover album. And that was actually a real problem because originally we were just like, hey, anyone who pre-orders the CD will sign them. And I realize how this is going to sound. We sold too many, <laughs> which I'm not actually <laughs> complaining about. It was amazing, except it took us six months to sign everything. Yeah, I've watched some of those signing oh. marathons happen. I've seen the boxes. Yeah, <laughs> and then we were like, look, we have to basically upcharge for for the signatures. Otherwise, it's just like... It's not worth the time investment. It's not worth the time investment. And yeah. that's kind of been the model from then on. And luckily, luckily, people have been supportive of that. But yeah, those signed CDs, like we talk about it occasionally, but that is like a really, really crucial part of the NSP and Starbomb 
business model is selling those science CDs. Interesting. It makes sense because, you know, in, especially in my case, right, we didn't do science CDs for Big Bad Bosses because it's impossible to get me, Satchel, Alex, and Nate in one place. Right. And in hindsight, mm. I wish I had done something different because there's not one person out there that has all four of our signatures. It's like hard yeah, yeah, yeah. to get the entire band to sign it. Whereas if you're buying a product and the band's there, you you save yourself the heartache of trying to track them down at a convention or a show and, yep. and have them sign it. And you wait for hours and you know then you can't because it's overcrowded, whatever it may be. So... Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely, I, there's definitely an inherent value of having them pre-signed. And then they know, too, that you took the time to sign it. They, they feel like yeah. this was especially signed, not for me specifically, but it feels that time was put into it, which is important. Totally. And D- Danny and I lucked out because we're both, you know, we're both here in LA. So now, like, we can just kind of cart boxes back and forth to each other's house. <laughs> like, it is a major logistical thing. Like, we basically have to wrap albums a year before they come out now just to get everything printed and signed and up to the distributor and all that stuff. It ends up being a huge logistical nightmare every time, but it's it's totally worth it. I really haven't talked about this much, but we fell into a successful but insane business model where we make these music videos that make nothing compared to what we pay to make them, like just based on YouTube ad revenue. Absolutely. I mean, those music videos are like huge losses. And so those put us in the red, but they essentially advertise the albums, even when they're not explicit advertisements. The album sales put us back in the black. It was not a conscious choice to do it that way, but we kind of lucked into this thing. And we're lucky enough to have the fan community that shows up for it. Well, and I'm sure you're also like crazy proud of those music videos because you should be. Oh, yeah. Like, it's, they're fucking amazing. Thank you. We put a lot of time and effort and love into making them because we want them to keep getting better and better and better all the time. But that also kind of means they get more expensive <laughs> all the time. It's a weird business model. And it means that, you know, we would never like have someone invest in a music video. And we wouldn't want to anyway, because we wouldn't want to bring on an executive producer or something. And they'd be stupid to do it because they wouldn't make any money. Yeah. <laughs> Instant regret. Instant regret. Yeah. <laughs> Should we uh, introduce this show? Yeah. Well, everybody, this is Layton over there. I... That's me. The other one is Brian. What's up? Mystery guest. Would you care to introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Gerard, and I am a content creator online known as The Completionist, where every single week of my life, I complete a video game. (laughs) It has been a long journey. I've been doing this for nine (laughs) years. I've completed over 360 games. Oh, my God. That that many. Help me. Help me. (laughs) Uh, I'm in therapy and it helps, but you know, it's crazy. And uh, yeah, th- thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> of course, we're glad that you're here, that this is a reprieve from just the endless Sisyphean task of pushing that video game boulder <laughs> up the hill. When Gerard and I were DMing about this, I was like, hey, just to make sure you can you can record your own audio, right? And he's like, dude, I record 40 hours of content a week. Like, it, it, it's it's good. <laughs> I got this. <laughs> I feel like you are one of the hardest working people out there. Like the amount of bullshit in a good way you have to go through to to do what you do is really remarkable. Thank you. When I started doing all this online stuff, my goal was not to be a YouTuber. It wasn't even to, you know, have a form of self-expression. I, I went into it with a very different mindset. My mindset was I'm here to build a business. I want to make something successful 
that through and through is my being. And I banked on my genuineness and, and my open heartedness to, to make something that people care about and to make money from that because I was about to go into the film industry and I, I felt the pressure of PAing on a film for the next 20 years and never getting my shot. And this was my way of saying, hey, I can have my cake and eat it too. Yeah. And when I started doing it, I was like, what's the craziest thing that I can do that is what I love? <laughs> and I love completing games. And I went online and I searched and there wasn't anything about completing games. There was a guy called The Completionist on YouTube from Alaska, just like a, a middle-aged man who with a family who just casually makes YouTube videos for himself, for his kids. And I talked to him and he wasn't very big, but he was a very nice guy. And I, I said, hey, I'm going to make this show called The Completionist. Do you have a problem with it? And he was like, no, man, everyone can be a completionist. What? Oh, that's so sweet. That that mindset like made me go, oh, that's that's such a cool mindset to to have to, yeah. to really. And so that was that that really inspired my community approach was that you know it's not just me completing the game. I'm I may be completing the game, but the the takeaway from the show hopefully is that I I did this. Now you viewer at home, you can do this too. You have the confidence. You want to do it. And uh, for a while, we used to sell a poster that was like a fill-in-your-own-completionist rating. Oh, that's where awesome. Where you'd complete the game, and then Aww. you can give it your own score and compare it to mine. And, uh, you know, I didn't expect from the beginning. And so I've tried to kind of to keep that with me this whole time. I did not think I'd be doing it for this long. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think any of us have, have thought that about anything. That we oh, yeah, do. for sure. <laughs> Like, how much longer can I get away with this? Yeah. <laughs> how much longer until they notice I'm old? Like, what? Yeah, what's the what's what's the scope on this? <laughs> Believe me, dude. Every day I think that to myself. Like, is this the day? <laughs> luckily, I think actually in in my particular case, luckily they think I'm so old that it stopped mattering. So, <laughs> I legitimately had someone think that I was a grandpa, and. I, I, it did not feel like someone doing a bit. And I was like, how old do you fuck? I'm 45. Like, I'm, you know, that's not impossible, but come on. But yes. So I feel like I ask myself that question every day. And then I'm like, well, I'm ancient compared to most of the fan base. So I kind of got over that hump already. Yeah. To be fair, most of the time you are in a ninja outfit. So it's got to yes. feel a little empowering to be that, that man of mystery in a way. <laughs> all these oh, years. yeah. It ended up being a really good strategy for concealing age <laughs> once my eyebrows go gray then we'll start to notice it but until that it's like it's kind of all good yeah but that's like a fucking look that is a look that is totally true that's the thing i'd do on purpose there's like three things i could do to really change that it's eyebrows one uh two is if i got like really tan or something then I would look a lot different. <laughs> and the other one would be to have a radical like body type change, like, you know, gaining or losing a lot of weight or, or whatever or something like that. Getting really buff. Yeah, or something, you know, right. If I don't do any of those things and none of them seem likely to happen, I'm <laughs> kind of all set. <laughs> so, Gerard, do you legit worry about like aging out of, of YouTube or gaming or anything oh, like that? Oh, man, Every single day. It's not that I'm worried about aging out. What I am worried about is, and this is what every YouTuber worries about, is that the platform just doesn't care about what you create anymore. Yep. And that's so and that's so evident 
as the years go on, you know, when the, the I say I joke and say the newer models come around, you know, the newer, uh-huh. the newer, more improved Let's Players or reviewers or even beauty people, Logan Pauls and Jake Pauls of the world, you see them and you go, man, like I did not look as good as you did when I started. I did not succeed as yeah. good as you did when I started. And the algorithms and all that stuff just makes you feel it is imposter syndrome in a way. You feel as if all of your hard work is almost amounting to nothing. Because you see the things like your your change in audience, you see yep. they're not they're not going to conventions as much, or they're not buying as much merch, or you know they want the shiny new model, they want the different one of you, or if something controversial happened around in your circle of friends, are you know how how related to you are that everyone is kind of plugged in to this information drip feed, including things like the YouTube algorithm, and so yeah. by proxy, I, I definitely been feeling like. I have been aging out and not because I've been gracefully going with father time, but mostly because I feel forced out of it because of all these 30 different things I have to worry about at any given moment from merchandise and Patreon to not getting paid from YouTube this month because of COVID. So it's that right. kind of thing where the gray hairs and the and the the sleepless nights and that responsibility just gets worse as time goes on. Oh, for sure. Like, But it's also the nature of being successful that initially you can just kind of like, okay, you know, I'm just doing this for fun, whatever. And then it becomes a business and then it becomes a way of life. And, you know, then you have like whatever mortgage partner or what, like yeah. uh, stuff. Then you're not just doing it for fun. Like you have to do it to live and the pressure to do it in such a way that it stays relevant and the audience is still there just keeps amplifying. It is a real, real thing. And it's so hard, at least in my case, it's so hard to not literally constantly freak out about it. Like I just have to daily, like kind of put it out of my mind. Like, okay, just keep creating, keep doing the thing. Like if it dies, it dies, but just keep working hard at it and seeing where it goes. But that is a, and I think like all digital creators have this, maybe not like some supremely, let's say overconfident ones, but uh, pretty much everyone I know has this fear of like, what if it all goes away tomorrow? And I think that's also just entertainment industry broadly. Yeah, with game development and shit also feel that it, it's so tenuous and it's like the breeze blows in a direction and it can change everything. Yeah. But but it's also like the doing the creative thing, doing the internet thing where you can't really like clock out. Like the internet is so pervasive and it's always with you. I mean, you, you have your phone on you at all times. Like it's not just like a geographic place that you go of like, I am going to log online. It's just always there. Yeah. And it becomes really easy to like drive yourself insane with that. For sure. I was watching a video by Alana Pierce about The Last of Us 2 and how uh-huh. she did this great breakdown about how there's this long going theory that game journalists are paid a bunch of money to give good scores to AAA games and all this stuff. And she brought up this whole thing of like, if there's a huge controversy with a game like The Last of Us 2, right? It leaked. And everyone out there is like, oh, my gosh, the game leaked. And now they've seen it and they're mad and they're mad at how Naughty Dog handled it. And and in the end of the video, she goes, guys, there are so many people who are not plugged in, who don't read the leaks, who are so out of the loop of what's going on that they're going to still buy this game to the point where I think she said, I saw someone with The Last of Us tattoo. And I said, hey, what do you think about the leaks? And they said, what leaks? Like <laughs> there, there are so many, wow. like, like we don't, we don't, we think because we're in the industry of content creation, game creating and the games industry at large, we think everyone that we know and our peers and our fans are all informed all the time. 
Yeah. But we have no idea how little people, how, 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 how many people out there don't give a fuck and don't yeah, even know. Totally. And they just, they do their nine to five. They go to the store. Oh shit. Last of us two is out. Like, and then the game sells millions and everyone moves on and life goes on. And we don't sit there and think in the minutia and protest and boycott gaming because of something that's in it. And get mad that a, a, a game series is about people dying has the people die in it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like, bro, bro, what did you think was going to happen? Just because you waited seven years for it, it it's what the game is about, bro. <laughs> I say, having not played two but watched a lot of cutscenes, because anytime people are mass angry about a thing, I would also like to be angry at them for being angry about it. For being angry, <laughs> yes, of course. I just, I have brain worms, and I sometimes <laughs> you must feed the internet brain worms so they may thrive and eat more of your brain. Hey, Gerard, you're, you're, you're totally right, but and it, it's part of a larger phenomenon now, which is that we just all have these bubbles and don't realize we live in them a lot of the time, and it's so easy to be like, well, everybody thinks this, and then you're like, oh, wait, that's 0.001% of the world's population that thinks that? Oh, uh, oops. I find it very easy to convince myself of what people do and don't know, and I'm always wrong. And especially if it's controversy about you, it's like an all-consuming drama that you just get from all sides, and you have to deal with it all the time, and it just becomes like soul-crushing. And then you mention to like a quote-unquote normal person, they're like, "What are you talking about? I don't what." I, I can't even understand the story that you're telling me. Have there been any controversies that you've been involved in? Oh, yeah. There's been a few. So when I started The Completionist, at the time of my life, I graduated from school in acting. I was practicing my craft of creating content that I wanted to make. I, I was a big fan of, you know, if you're a musician, you form a band, you make music. If you're an actor, you write plays, you perform in them. And as, yep. a, as a creator, as a filmmaker who wanted to go into the filmmaking world, I wanted to create something that I could show for my resume that it shows off my acting, my hosting, my writing, my producing, my editing, everything. And so I made The Completionist as my, my launch pad. But at the time, my confidence was just shattered because I was going out on auditions doing the Los Angeles acting gig of going to, you know, getting in my car, driving to six auditions a day, getting turned down to all of them, doing, you know, extra work on the weekends and doing long shoots where I do nothing. And then next week on a set for something and, and, and doing more PA stuff. So for me, when I started working on, on The Completionist, you know, I took two and a half, three months to make the first episode. And at the time I was writing everything and producing everything, but I wasn't feeling myself as a performer. I didn't think I was the funny man. I was, I was really embracing the lead ingenue of this show mm -hmm. with no comedic structure. It just was like, I wrote jokes, but they, they were for nothing. It just was what I thought was funny. That's and I so just wild to me to hear because you are so confident now. Like, yeah. <laughs> like to, to, I, I haven't watched your super early stuff, but the idea of a, of a non-confident Gerard, like I can't even fathom it. Yeah, so a lot of, a lot of what kind of came down to it was uh, I had my friend Greg who was in the same boat as me. He was uh, a musician. He still is a musician. He was in a band, his own personal band, plus a Beatles tribute band. And he was traveling all over the world performing, and he wanted an outlet as well. And so one day I had him come to my house. I showed him the first cut of the show, and he was like, this is really funny. You just got to commit to your to your bits and, and, and embrace them. Mm -hmm. And so... He acted my bits out for me, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, you're the thing that I need. You're you're the you're the 
you're the sidekick. You're the you're the partner that I need to to do this. And so I brought him in, and our first episode because of Aaron and John and Austin went viral. You know, it hit a million views in in, in the first time it came out. And oh wow! And and my YouTube career was born. I had five thousand subscribers, and I was like, oh man, this is lighting in a bottle that we can't mess up. And yep, so yep. that's what started the train of completing a game a week. But you know, it was it was the completionist starring Gerard and Greg. You know, I was the guy playing the game and and completing it and writing it and editing it. And Greg's role was to assume the watcher at home. Mm-hmm. The idea was this show is designed for someone who doesn't know a thing about video games. So if you've never heard about Mario, you're going to know everything you need to know about Mario in the context of this video game from a design perspective, from a historical perspective, how to play how to feel, how to think, and then my opinion in wrapped up into all of it. And Greg was kind of the the mouthpiece of the audience going, but what about this? This doesn't make sense. Why would they do this? And so that was kind of our dynamic. And as time went on, Greg was traveling over the world doing his thing and, and embracing all that stuff and, and working. And I was doing the majority of the work. And that's kind of what I was expected because I was that's what it was. Yeah. And about four, you know, four or five years into doing it, um, Greg had mentioned that he wanted to, to focus on the business with me. He wanted to 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 be more involved in the producing and the writing and and helping out with other stuff we had in production. But from the very beginning, um, he knew and everyone involved, Alex Fasciani and stuff knew that I was the owner of the company that we had started and that it was my money that was being invested and I was putting in all the the risk and problems that went into it. I sacrificed my health. You know, my mom passed away in the middle of, of my career. And so there was just so much that I was personally sacrificing, that um, it got to a breaking point where where Greg and I were no longer connecting on a business level, on a real, on a friendship level. We were just at each other's throats all the time, and it was affecting the, the company at that point. You know, we had we yeah. had six people working in the in the office with us, and we couldn't stand working with each other. We couldn't connect with each other anymore. And you know, uh, when we I started interviewing for um, that TBS show, King of the Nerds. Oh, you interviewed for that? Really? Wow. <laughs> yeah, I, I auditioned for, for season awesome. three. And in the process of interviewing me, they said, you know, they they wanted to know if they had the licensing rights to show our content and everything. And I haven't told anyone this. So this is, this, I don't know if this is going to make waves, but uh, probably not. But basically, that's sort of the conversation of, well, what does Gerard own and what does Greg own? And Greg was like, well, if they're going to talk about the completionist, they shouldn't feature our content. And I said, well, I'm, I am the completionist. I own the content. I feel that it's fine for them to show it. And he's like, right, but you and I are a team. And if I'm not featured in it, then I don't want to be in it. And I was like, well, they're, they're not asking you. They're asking me. I'm the face of the brand. I'm, I'm the company. I own everything. And that was the beginning of the fracture. That was yeah. us, our friendship falling apart. And you know, he was dedicated on, on he owned half of what we built together when really I did 90% of the lifting and investment and participating, he was doing the voiceover bits and then, you know, going to a different country to perform as John Lennon in a tribute band. So Mm -hmm. I was assuming all the responsibility, doing all the work. And when we fell apart, you know, it was just as bad as, as John and Aaron splitting up. It was that kind of that visceral, there's a villain, there's a hero, there's, there's this, you know, chaoticness to it. The way they handled it was bad. And we tried really hard to, to handle our fans with respect and really, really lay out what, what we felt comfortable talking about. Mm-hmm. And the first few days went by and everything was fine. And Greg left Twitter and 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 it seemed like things were going okay. 
And someone on Twitter asked me, you know, can you at least tell us that Gregor, you were still friends, which we weren't. Yeah. And I told a bit of a lie. I said that, you know, well, we're as friends as friends can be. I didn't want to comment on that. I didn't want to tell the kids that Santa wasn't real. I didn't want to tell them that mom and dad are splitting up. I wanted to just pat them on the head and move on. It's also painful at that point. Like you're in the middle of it. You don't really want to rehash a lot of that stuff in public, especially like, I mean, that's a personal question too. Like, are you still friends? I, 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 I can sympathize with just like, you know what, I'm, I just want to kind of not deal with this in public right now. It feels real the whole time. Yeah. It is such a personal thing and the entire thing is so personal. And then you have to add the additional extremely messy layer of just having like it becoming a spectator sport of like, yeah, of course, there are the people who are invested in it, but there are a lot of people who are like, this is like fun to engage in and prod at. And it's like, oh man, this is like a real thing that is happening for me right now that I have a lot of feelings about that you guys cannot possibly know the full scope of the thing and then choosing what you tell and like, oh, it it is like such tricky waters to navigate. Yeah, it's so, so I, I, I tweeted this thing out and, uh, you know, uh, Greg, Greg doesn't like social media. He didn't like social media at the time. And he, I, I don't talk to Greg anymore, obviously, because it was so catastrophic. But uh, to me, it was very personal because I, I didn't just lose a friend or an employee. I lost my best friend. I lost someone who I respect and care about. But yeah. we both were fundamentally changing, and we just weren't working well together anymore. And it was hard to explain that to the world to people who have no idea what your dynamicness is. They don't know. Right. And all they know is that they feel pain because of what they see is no longer there. Mm-hmm. And so um, Greg started looking at Reddit. He started, you know, going down the rabbit hole of seeing what the internet was saying about him. And he saw what I said, and that kind of sparked a fire in him. And so he came back on social media, and he started throwing a lot of heat at me. And, and it quickly went from two friends splitting up to... One friend obviously got fucked and the other didn't. Yeah. And 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 the tide mm. changed. And my relationship with the internet and my audience and my ability to create crumbled. My address leaked. My phone number leaked. Oh, no, really? Oh, People showing up at my parents' house. Jesus Christ. People who weren't, I don't want to say well, but they were not well in their minds showing up at my parents' house, and I had to explain to my parents what what was going on, and I chose to be silent from that moment on, and from 2015 until 2017, I created in this dark silence. You know, I felt like I lost my ability to talk to my audience. I didn't, I can't connect with them. I, I couldn't do anything. I'd go to conventions and performances, and I'd see fans, and I'd always get the question, what happened between you and Greg? Right. Tell us. You, you, We deserve to know all this stuff. And it it haunted me. When I launched Big Bad Bosses, Greg tweeted about it and talked about how we had had this plan in the work for a while. And, and it's true we did, but Big Bad Bosses was so drastically different from what from what he and I early on discussed. I, I made sure that I threw all of our ideas out and I started from, from scratch because I wanted to make it feel authentic and, and brand new, which it was. Yeah. His online participation and leading the fans, his fandom in the way to attack me, hurt me a lot mentally, emotionally, physically, psychologically. I bet, yeah. And if you Googled my name for months, that's all you saw was 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 what happened. And so at the at the middle of 2017, I was in a convention in Norway and I got an email from Greg. And this is the first time I heard from him since February of 2015. So it had been two and a half years since everything really happened. And had things died down a bit in the public eye at that point? On the Reddit side and the Google side, yes. On social media, it was still, you know, whenever he would tweet, 
I would get an influx of of troll accounts and mm-hmm. and things of that nature. And so in 2017, he wrote me a pretty lawyerly email. It was not written by a normal person. It was written by a lawyer. You could tell in the language and what was said. And it basically boiled down to, hey, you wrongfully fired me. And for two years, I did nothing to your business to let it grow and sustain so that you guys would still keep going without me. I just want to get paid for my performances that I did with you for those 120 games that we completed together. And if you're not going to pay me or respond, then I'm going to lawyer up. That's what the email said. Wow. And so and he gave me a specific end date. He was like, if you do not respond by X date, then Y repercussions will take place. Oof. And so I knew this was serious. I knew this was this was a lawyerly email. And so I debated for months what to do. I I, I tried to see when the cutoff date was, and I knew this was going to be a situation where what, what was next. And so I was at a convention, actually, with my normal boots guys. It was at any PopCon. It was the same one that you were at, Ryan. Oh, it was that convention. Yeah, yeah. That was, <laughs> yeah, 2017, right? Yeah. Yeah, I was there, and someone asked me about Greg. And it was like, I lost it. Like it was, it was the dam that had burst. I didn't, I, for the first time ever, I broke down on stage and I just was like, I told a room full of thousands of people what actually happened. I, I just couldn't handle it anymore. Oh my God. And, and you could hear like Norwood's guys in the back, their jaws were dropped. My brother was crying in the back because he's, he's experienced it with me and I'm on stage crying. It's so quiet, like a massive auditorium and no one's saying a word. The energy of the room changed. It went from weird tension to love and appreciation. And I saw people started crying because they saw that what I experienced was real. And I had a revolution. It changed in me. I said, well, if the people in here know who I am, they've stuck with me for through all this change, then I need to do this for them. I need to be able to continue on for my fan base. And so I got this idea to handle the situation. And what it was was... Greg said he wanted to get a fat paycheck or to continue to get residuals so that he could get paid for his time. But the reality was I paid Greg like an employee for his input. Whenever I got paid, he got paid. And if he didn't get paid when I got paid right away, it was because we got paid nothing and I eventually paid for something else. I'd pay for his his gas bill, his phone bill. I'd pay for his groceries. I'd pay because back in the early days of YouTube, you didn't make anything. I made $600 in the first 18 months of YouTube. I made nothing. Oh, yeah. No, same, same. Believe me, like nothing. You know, when we started making money and we had Patreon and, and we were doing brand deals, that's when I started paying him a salary and paying the rest of the team a salary. And so uh, by default, he had been gotten paid for his time. And he was arguing in the email that he did not give consent for himself to be used in the likeness of my content, which is like, you. so you said no 120 times and you still did it? Like, that doesn't make sense to me. That's not going to hold up in court or really anyone who thinks about that. It's like going on TV 120 times and then you were like, well, I didn't say you could use the footage of me on TV. That, that's not how it works. You mm-hmm. went on TV again and again and again. You know, basically he said I wanted to get paid and I looked at my analytics, I looked at the money and I said, the completionist backlog is a substantial amount of our income. It was about 60% at the time. So I'd have to give him 60% of that revenue from those videos. But I didn't feel like I owed it to him because I paid him a salary for all of his time working on the show with me. Mm -hmm. And so I told his lawyers, uh, I will listen to him in that I will take the videos down. Please respond. So a few weeks went by, no response from him or his team. I had my lawyer write again. 
We will take the videos down by your request date. Please respond. Nothing. And so after back and forth of just hearing nothing, I said, screw it. Here's the plan. I made a video that explained everything I just told you guys up to this point, even with the email. And I said, my options are I, I, he wants residuals and I pay him or I take those videos down. So I told my audience, you have two months to download all my old content. In two months, those videos are going away. And in October of that year, I will create a show called The Completionist New Game Plus, where I recomplete the 120 games that oh, I wow. did on the show. And wow. you guys can watch me stream that entire process on Twitch from the ground up. And we will do this together as a community. And if you are upset because this hurts Greg and your relationship with him and you feel that's the way that it is, then that's okay. There's the door. If he has a Patreon or a YouTube channel, go support him. Do what you need to do to support him. But this is what I'm doing now because I can't live in this pain and anguish anymore. And so um, I made this announcement and I was so past the point of having discussion with him. He ended up deleting his Twitter because the internet had finally changed. I, I, I went from being the villain to kind of being the hero and he got dogpiled on, which made him delete his social media. Mm -hmm. And it ended the conversation and that's been the end of, of this gigantic controversy. But it's, you know, at this point in time, as of recording this podcast, I've completed 92 games oh out of the 120. <laughs> wow. And so I'm, I'm getting towards the end of this insane journey. I've released 64 videos of the 120 with these 93 in the bank. It's been great to have the fan support. It's been wonderful to see people engage me in a new way. And honestly, it reinvigorated me to want to make stuff again. Because yeah. when you're terrified of your audience, when you're terrified of the very people who support you and, and want to be there for you, and you feel handcuffed and you can't talk to them, and some of them come to your house and, and break that personal barrier because yeah. they're in pain, you genuinely don't know what to do. You start to believe the lies that people think and that imposter syndrome just envelops you. Yeah. And and I still have nightmares about it. I still wake up. I bet, yeah. And and it's 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 an emotional thing that just hasn't gone away and it still feels very real, even though that was almost, you know, four years ago, five years ago at this point. Yeah, but it's clearly a traumatic event for you. And that's not easy to get past. Yeah, creatively, personally, professionally. Yeah, totally. Yeah, no, no matter what I do for, for the longest time, it's like, I made Big Bad Bosses. And it's like, oh man, what a cool thing. A pop band starring video game villains. Yeah. And all of the villains are YouTubers slash like famous video game people. It's an awesome idea. Yeah. Yeah. And then you look at it. It's a really awesome idea. Oh, and Jake Kaufman from Shovel Knight, he composed it. Yeah. And it's got Grant Kirkhope appearing in it and Aaron from Game Grumps and Starbomb and all this cool support. Wait a minute. Isn't that the guy that screwed his best friend? Oh, God. Yeah. Invalidates the entire project. Yeah. Yep. Invalidates all the hard work and just makes you feel like what you put out there is not good and you're not good enough. And, and that's the spiral of the creator is that people say your worst fears to your face. Only yes. in this day and age, it's not to your face. It's to your Twitter handle. Right. And it, it's tens of thousands of people at once telling you the exact like, you know, in your deepest self-loathing or anxiety. It, it's just validation for that anxiety to put hooks in of like, see, you're right. 
you're right. Everybody hates you as much as you hate you. And here's like yeah. all the proof that will be on the internet forever. Totally. Absolutely. And like you, you totally just believe that narrative of like, oh, I'm X, Y, and Z. I surely, I, I don't have any evidence to back this up. But if so many people are saying it, then it has to be true. Yeah. There's the other thing too, when there are these very public splits, especially between two people, some people will stick with one person and some people will stick with the other, kind of regardless of what happened. You'll have some fraction, whatever it is, that goes off with each. And it is, I, I've never had this happen to me, but I, I can only imagine what it's like to be like, no, but that's the bad guy. You're following the bad guy now. And it, it, it I mean, maybe I'm presuming too much, but it, it must be difficult in and of itself just to see those people ally themselves with someone that you're like, no, he's wrong or they're wrong. And then you feel like you have to be the bigger person of like, I have to handle this maturely and tactfully, even though I don't want to. And because this makes it worse for me, but it's the right thing to do. Like it, it just becomes a no-win situation in like six directions. Yeah. I think, I think that's the biggest thing, right? Is I looked at the fan base and I looked at the business and I looked at everything and I was like, it's not worth this anguish. It's not worth this treatment and this awful feeling. None of it was worth it. And to feel as if the people that you've cultivated, the not just the fan base, but the friends, you know, like what are the game grumps going to think about me if, if I ever work with them? What, what is game theory going to think about me? What is, you know, what is Glitch City going to think about me when I want to go work with them on stuff? Like yeah. what is Yacht Club Games going to think of me when they give me the new Shovel Knight? It's, it's this kind of stuff where you feel that everyone is watching you and and really ready to criticize every single thing that you do. You know, when when my dad's station got destroyed during the Black Lives Matter protest a couple of weeks ago, I just made a tweet about it. I just said, hey, you know, like, this is a real thing that's happening. I saw it. People's yeah. lives are at stake. Yeah, and, you know, I got a lot of support from friends, but if you look at that tweet section, you look at what was there. I never once gave me a political stance. I never once said where I was. I just felt that, I just said, this is my personal pain that I'm, that I'm going yep. through. And everyone thought that I was so against the movement that I was enforcing the really? idea that, yeah, they thought that I was enforcing the idea that, that, property and and oh my god and items matter more than than black lives that own lives in general and so you know people will look at you and go i'm gonna take whatever i can find and shove it into your mouth and that's your identity now just because of of what you try or try not to say you know online yeah it makes it so difficult to want to wake up and create something when you when our when it is our jobs to create something whether it be for a fan base or for yourself or or for your family, your community, it's hard to feel motivated when you know at the end of the line, someone's going to tell you, you're bad, you're wrong, you're the one that sucks, this is your fault, you didn't do it right. And there's so much to think about because you want to see why they say that. You want to see yes. why they feel that way. And you put yourself in their shoes and you're looking at them and you go, you know, what is their struggle? Are they... LGBTQ? Do they have some kind of mental situation going on? Do they have a bad day at work? You know, do they have a bad home? Like you don't know any context. All you know is that they have an anime avatar or like a or like a a screen cap of a famous actor with no with no context to who they are. Yeah. You just know that they love saying mean things to you, and oh, they love saying yeah. mean things to the people around you. And all you can do is sit there and read that comment and the thousands that are waiting in the wings to punch you. It's like letting people walk up to you and slap you in the face as hard as you can, and you can't really do anything about it. 
Yeah, because if if you do anything about it or express like creativity is being vulnerable and doing it online is especially vulnerable because of the direct contact and then people take advantage of that vulnerability and knowing that like you're listening and just kind of like run with it because it's easy. And when you're hiding behind an account with like 12 followers and your real identity isn't attached to it, it's like you automatically have that like weird position of power where it's like, well, I can get to you, but you can't get to me. Right because I refuse to actually be vulnerable or put anything about myself out there. That's so real. <laughs> That's the realest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> with, with Twitter, basically because of that, I essentially, I just had to start viewing it as a one-way street. Like, I I feel like I can't respond to replies too much. I mean, very occasionally, but it's just opening yourself up to that hate and the negative feedback from people. I mean, I love honest constructive criticism from people I trust, but just some random person that hates you for whatever reason, I, I just cannot emotionally open myself up to that. It hurts too much. And and not to say that like every single person criticizing you or being mean to you is projecting, no. but so much, so much of it is fucking projecting. Well, you just never know. That's the thing. Exactly. Yeah. It's like Gerard said. Yeah. You can't take any of it at face value. It's 280 characters. Yes. It's like, imagine if someone's like, I'm going to say something very rude to you. You are fat. <laughs> and your response is, you get one sentence, respond. And you're like, yeah. I get one sentence to say something back to you? That's not enough to unpack the negative. To a person I can't even see. Yeah. And you, you, can't, you can't see the person. You don't know who they are, where they're from. Yeah. You just know that they don't like you. And you're like, I'm supposed to have an ethical debate about standing up for myself with you, the person who won't even showcase yourself in the room. <laughs> yeah. It's an emotional vortex that we all just put up with. And people love to paint it to be this grandiose thing. Man, I wish I was a famous influencer mm -hmm. or a game developer or a PR person or a celebrity where I had this big following. And then once you get to that side of the rainbow, you're not the same person anymore. The trials yeah. and tribulations that you've gone through transform you to not even recognize the success and the happiness that you found along the way. And all yeah. you can see is the is the destruction that is just waiting for you. It's hard. It feels weird to talk about this here because it, it's the exact thing that we're talking about of like, oh, you say this, what about X, Y, Z? Like, you know, there, there's so much unsaid, like when you were you know, Gerard, it's like you're saying of like being able to be in the room with people physically as you're telling the story and them feeling that with you is such a abyss between that and doing it to, you know, however many Twitter followers, like you can't gauge tone, there's no history, but yep. with your, with friends or people who have experienced it, you, there is so much unsaid stuff that you, you're on the same page with because you can read tone and body language and all this stuff. I mean, it's the context collapse of the internet where it's just like everyone's here for a different reason, pulling all their different things into it. The way that we communicate is so compressed and it's about what is the most eye-catching, not necessarily clickbait, but it's, it's you know, nuance doesn't exist on the internet. It's always one extreme or the other because that's the easiest way to communicate it. And you can never tell when anything is being done in good faith either. So it's the combination to me of the lack of context and, wait, is this person just trolling? Yeah, and you get so guarded of assuming that people do things in bad faith. It's people waiting to poke holes in your bowl until you're a fucking colander. Um, and it, it becomes so hard to hold on to, even if there is a disproportionate amount of positivity. It's always, always the negative stuff that just like yeah. sticks with you and clangs around in your skull for years. It's the thing that I was saying earlier of, um, you know, with Dream Daddy talking about like the level of shit 
that we got, people were like, I never saw any say anybody say anything bad about that game. What are you talking about? And it's like, oh my God. <laughs> Just the, the depth of that uh, and how much, and you think because people are like, oh, well, you know, you were successful. Like you signed up for this, for people talking to you like this. And so many people would like kill to be in your position um, that you feel like you can't complain about it. And right. that, like people who haven't experienced it can't relate to it. Like I remember talking to friends or like, you know, family at the time who were just like, oh, but you don't worry. Don't let the haters get you down. Like you're successful. Like it's, it doesn't matter. And it's like, oh, but, oh yes, let me flip the switch where it's like, oh, I, I don't care about this anymore. Done. Easy. I don't need years of therapy. It's fine. When you're a game developer, right? The amount of time mm-hmm. and the blood and the sweat and the tears and the this is broken and that is broken and this will never get made and and wait, this part's great and I love this. I want to see this. And that's two years. That's three years. That's five years of your life that you put out yeah. there. In no other creative medium does that happen where you're like, this is my life for the next three to five years. YouTube stuff, sure. Films, they get shot in four months and they're in post for nine months and they're out in 15 months. Games, yeah. you see the same lines of code and art and graphics and, and sound for so long that by the time you've made the game, like I said, you're a different person because you've experienced yeah. mm-hmm. so many highs, so many lows. You hope that this joke or this thing that you wrote is is going to resonate with people. And then you see the perspective of what they have to say. And it's like, well, you weren't fucking there at month 15 <laughs> when shit fell apart. You weren't there at month 19 when this person left the project and it became my responsibility to reprogram this whole fucking thing. <laughs> like, but that context, that nuance is gone and they yeah. don't give a shit. They oh, yeah. just, I paid for this and it sucks. It, it does feel like, like the only analogs really are writing a really long novel that, you know, you take 10 years to write and then it comes out and people are like, I hate it. And you're like, go fuck yourself. No, like, or, <laughs> or maybe being on a long-running TV show or something like that, you know, for for a long period of time. But the difference there is that the sh- the episodes are coming out as it goes along. So maybe that's not a great analogy. Yeah, I had never really considered, you know, how much time game dev goes into. I had never really considered that perspective before. But you're fucking right. It's and it's so easy because you can work on something like that that somebody can play and you know I guess this isn't true for Dream Daddy because you can play it for like 10 hours or whatever but that people get through really fast and the thing that I always see with productions like it changed the way that I looked at like criticism of things and it, it was a journey where immediately afterwards I was like I don't want to criticize anything because now I know how this feels of just getting yes. it nonstop. like attacks on your work attacks on your character attacks on your relationships like all of it nonstop. I'm like, well, but I, I feel like I hated that movie, but I, I don't want to, I don't want to pile onto this. And, and, you know, I, I worked through that and I was like, I, this is how it works. Like there's a difference between criticism and, you know, having opinions and harassing people. Like it, it was such a, I remember, um, the movie Darren Aronofsky's mother. Did you guys see that? <laughs> no, I did, I did not, not No, but I know it. I, I know about it. Yeah. Yeah, so basically it came out right after the game came out and I got really high and I went to see it and I was so fucking depressed at this time because like after it came out, I I was like, whoo, non-functional mental breakdown depressed for like over a year along with this, just the exhaustion of working on it nonstop for a long time. But uh, I saw that movie and spoiler alert, Jennifer Lawrence gives birth, everybody takes the baby and then they eat the baby. <laughs> <laughs> and I felt, I was like that, <laughs> 
that exact thing. And like the people who come into the house, because it's like a home invasion kind of thing, are tearing the house apart that she's been restoring and they're stealing pieces of it. And they're like, this is mine. This is mine now. It's like, yep, mm-hmm, this resonates. And in hindsight, I'm like, okay, yes, that was a dramatic me being 19 years old reaction to this. But the like seed of that is still there. It's like we were talking about before. I am so reluctant to say negative stuff about things in a public way, because it doesn't occur to me until later what I emotionally brought to that experience, like you're talking about right now. Mm -hmm. Like, I am so reluctant to be like, well, that wasn't good, which first of all, I I don't like saying that wasn't good. Um, That that wasn't for me or whatever, as we all know, is, is better. But I feel like your own motivations are so difficult to suss out until maybe much later, if you even remember them, that I am so reluctant to criticize things because it's like, well, maybe I was just super bummed out that day for whatever fucking reason. I know good criticism will incorporate that. Like people who are who are really good critics will, will talk about that. But certainly online, if you're talking about some movie you saw, it's hard to, to do that in a limited number of, of characters. And I wish that people would acknowledge that not only is it the like, you know, this is bad versus this isn't for me, is that the cool thing about any piece of media is that it hits everyone differently based on their history, the context of what they've right. experienced in their lives, their taste in media. Like that is why it's why it's fun not to be like, um, objectively, this movie is the best one in the series. And it's like, I don't care. This couldn't interest me less. Like, I I, I just want to, you know, I want to hear what other people's perspectives are, but you can't take your own perspective on a thing and then project that on everyone else of like, if you don't agree with me or if you don't see the problem with this or whatever else, like, that that's, it's just not how it works. Like, it's a thing to consider, but that doesn't mean that your word is now law. Yeah. The... The other thing that occurred to me, Gerard, when you were talking about all this is number one thing that bugs me about people talking stuff online is when they act like they know what your business model is and <laughs> like <laughs> what the contracts say. Yeah. You literally have no idea how I set this thing up in terms of who gets paid what. So maybe shut up about that because you're basing it on actually nothing. NSP has generally escaped that. By the way, here's our business model. Dan and I split everything. That's it. Like that, that's <laughs> that's our business model. Okay, there you go. So now you know. Yeah. Um, but like these people who are analyzing the, you know, I looked up net worth online and which is always <laughs> bullshit anyway. And because of 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 this thing that was put out then, and I saw it got there on the truck. You're just like, no, you have no idea what's going on. It, it is so ignorant and ill-informed. It's seeing the shadows on the wall, yeah. like, and then assuming what the, you know. And that whole anytime deal. anyone's like, I looked up networth.com's response on what you're worth, it says you're worth $55 million. And it was like, it, it just anyone in listening to this, if if anyone that you follow is worth $55 million, do you think they would still be doing what they do? Yeah. Like, they would just retire or they would just do something else or they would invest in a completely oddball thing yeah. that is disassociated from what they're doing because they want to creatively feel fulfilled. That That is what, to, to use a Brent Lilly phrase, that's fuck you money. <laughs> yeah, like, that's fuck you money. <laughs> to use a Vernon phrase, that's yacht money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you go to Social Blade and you put in a YouTuber's name, it says like what their annual annual yearly earnings are it's like what the (laughs) fuck is that yeah it's nowhere near remotely true 
It's not even not even in the 30%, not even 40%, not even 50% close to no. what you think it is. My favorite thing about Social Blade is like you look up your channel and you're like, B minus? What? How did I get a fucking yeah. B minus from so, w- w- based on what? Like, yeah. it, the, the earnings are way off. And then they have the arrogance to put a fucking letter grade on your entire channel. Go fuck yourself, Social Blade. Like, that's, it's unnecessary. <laughs> This is this is potentially our saltiest episode of Late Night. I am so sorry. That's my fault. No, 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 no. no, no. no. It's good. <laughs> this is the kind of content I like. I 100% asked you, have you ever been involved in a controversy? Having no idea <laughs> about any of this, by the way. This is not like, I hope everyone <laughs> yeah. listening, and especially you, Gerard, know that that was not like a setup about like, well, well I guess we'll yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> I, like really did, did not know any of that stuff. <laughs> And I feel like that's a testament to the thing where if, like, if you're not paying specific attention to this specific thing at the specific moment, you're like, what the fuck? I never saw anything about this. Yeah, and especially since, I mean, I, I don't know how long I've been following you on social media, Gerard, like at least five years, probably longer. Yeah. Like during all of this stuff, I didn't see any of it. <laughs> I just, uh, and I, I, now I feel like a bad friend, of course. <laughs> Amazing the amount of stuff you went through. And look, we're in the same industry we kind of work together on stuff like it's it's wild i didn't know any of this but it's like i feel like we all have the equivalent of that story if not multiples of them where it's just like yep that's a thing that happened uh that if i try to explain to a normal person yeah absolutely (laughs) it's going to make me sound like i've lost my fucking mind even explaining this to a peer it still sounds fucking crazy like (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) like you had to summarize a traumatic experience in a way where the context makes sense. You know, when Brian, when you're like, I didn't know any of that. I'm like, I'm glad you didn't know any of that, because (laughs) if you had no if you had known any of it at the time, I'm a different person than I was five years ago, you know, and I'm I'm a different person than I was nine months ago, given the state of the country. Like, yeah, things we're allowed to change as people and experience different things and, and go through different things. But online, you're not allowed to. No, that's right. The other thing I was going to say is what must have been right smack dab in the middle of this, Gerard, you wrote and told a beautiful story at this event, the storytelling thing I I hosted. And I didn't know any of this. And you wrote this very moving piece about your mom and everything. And now I feel like I inflicted trauma on you. Uh, <laughs> like for, for asking you to do this thing in the middle of what must have been a very difficult time in your life. It's amazing to me. Yeah. Truth be told, you know, I, I'm lucky that the profession I chose to be was an actor because I truly believe if you're going to be an actor, the best way to be an actor, to understand truly what it is to to put on a performance is to really make sure that whatever's going on with you is something that makes you vulnerable that you you have to be able to share. Yeah. Like, Anytime I see a, a YouTuber or a streamer who is performing or anything or doing anything crazy, my first train of thought is they must be a theater person. Theater or theater arts or art in general because the ability to feel vulnerable is what makes us all human. To yeah. be a professional mm-hmm. actor is to be a professional human. And that's an oxymoron because there is no professional human. But to be the essence of someone who's vulnerable, that's what it is to be human. And so, we'll, you know... I can talk about this trauma. I can talk about the stuff of my mom and, you know, my my live show that I'm doing with with Real Good Touring. Um, 
It's called The Completionist Legacy. And it's about, you know, the Collider story that I did with you, Brian. Yeah, yeah. Was the catalyst for this show. It, oh, really? Oh, wow. That's awesome. Part of it on a micro scale, it's it's probably a third of the show is about wow. that, that story and what happened. But the other two thirds is is what happened before, what happened after, and and what led to me becoming a content creator. And it's about the relationship and connection with my father. It's called The Completionist Legacy. And it's about how yeah. we, we all want to honor our parents and we all are their living legacies and we just want to to connect with them in a way that we never get to because we're not supposed to we're supposed to just put our head down and do our best and bootstraps pulled up for america's sake like the american dream stuff it's it's so important that we reach for the stars but it's not that easy it's not that simple and 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 adding the pressure of making our parents proud that's a whole other level. Oh, that's a whole other thing. Absolutely. And the pressure that comes with that is something that is unspoken. And all of that, to me, comes from my ability to being able to be that vulnerable because not everyone's that way. I am yeah. very extroverted and I'm lucky in that way. A lot of people I know, especially in this industry, are very introverted. Mm-hmm. Like when I walk in the room, I can sit down with a stranger and go, here's my life story in in a way where I feel comfortable telling you. And to them, it's like, that's too much. Don't take it all back. I can't hear it. Because their own story is so different and I don't expect my story to be better than theirs or to match on the same level, but it's a certain, it's a certain ability of vulnerability and I can do that, but not everyone can. And it's just recognizing that it's okay to be vulnerable and to forgive yourself for that vulnerability because that's that's what it is to be human. I also think vulnerability and generosity are signs of maturity. And as I get older I find myself, I'm not like trying to be more vulnerable, but I am being more vulnerable, but I am trying to be more generous. And I feel like that's something that's very, it's hard for less mature. I don't want to say younger necessarily, but, and I also don't want to paint myself as some paragon of maturity. Like if if you only knew, (laughs) (laughs) you know, as, as I get older and have more and more people in my life and that sort of thing, I really do actively try to be more generous. And I find myself you know, I tear up almost at the drop of a hat when watching stuff right now. And I think a big part of this was, you know, when you've lived through deaths of friends and family members, and then in my case, having a kid, like the moment there's a child in peril on screen, I I start sobbing. I, I cannot handle it. And I think that's just a part of, of growing up. And, and it, it's a bummer thing to say, but more and more shitty stuff happened to you. Uh, it, it kind of makes you more vulnerable as you go. Well, yeah, and that's that's the, you know, bringing your own experience to media again, where like pieces of media, songs, movies, whatever, it can mean different things to you throughout your life, like based on when you've seen them. That's such a real thing. And I think with being vulnerable, it's like the vulnerability begets vulnerability. Hopefully, obviously, there will be people who will try to use it against you as often happens. Yes, always. But like you can set the tone and create a space where it's like, I am willing to bear myself for you. Like, here is this. I am hoping to be seen. Because like, really, in this life, what the fuck else do we have other than other people? Like, like when you whittle everything away, I mean, I feel like that was the really big thing that I realized with like being successful and getting shit and blah, blah, blah. Everything we've been talking about is like, what I care about, like my priorities have shifted. I've reached a point where I don't care what people think of me online. I don't give a shit if a random stranger is like, yeah, fuck you, slut. Like I care about like the people in my life that I am close to and like having moments of peace and like connection with them. Like that's all I really want. I love to create. I, I love to be with those people. Like I know what I want. And, you know, when you get into conflicts with people 
like interpersonally or deal with things. It's ultimately like we are both humans who have needs and are bringing history and trauma to this. And like, we need to be able to acknowledge and see that. And the internet wipes all of that away in favor of the surface. Yeah. Can I ask you guys a question? Yeah, of course. Sure. Do you think that if, if you had to do it all again, from where you are, from when you started to now, would you be totally fine if you had a smaller scope of success and a smaller community that was more caring and understanding. And even though you may not have, have the financial attachment to it, do you think that would be more fulfilling rather than doing the same road to where you are now with all the numbers aside? Because I feel like the amplification of the voices and the, and the number of voices is, is what makes it so difficult. You know, it's one thing if it's like three people, but when it's thousands, when it's tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe even a million, it's a lot. What did you feeling on that? My gut instinct is no, I would not be okay with that, to be perfectly honest. Like, I feel like the scale that NSP is at right now is right around like the sustainable scale for the kind of stuff I want to be doing with it. And if we didn't have the fan base, that's basically the number it is right now we couldn't do things at the level I want to do that. Like we wouldn't be able to afford to do what I want to do musically. So my gut instinct is no, because I feel like we've just kind of hit that point semi-recently. The asterisk on that is I feel like actually through this podcast, we are creating exactly that smaller community of people who yeah. are kind and, and loving and supportive and, and critical, you know, at times, which is great. But, I feel like I have it personally both ways where I have a large community of fans for Ninja Sex Party, of course, largely thanks to, to Game Grumps and Dan and Aaron. But through this podcast, I've been able to experience so far this like smaller, really tight-knit community of, of fans and supporters. So no, but then yes, because it's happening. <laughs> I'm glad to be a part of that with you, Brian. Oh, I'm, I'm thrilled. Yeah, me too. I think my answer to that question, as with any, like, if you would change an aspect of your life so it would be more painful at a cost, whatever, the answer for me is always going to be no, because it just, all of this shit is necessary to me being the person that I am. Like, it's a thing that has always come up in therapy of like, you know, if you had not experienced like really rough upbringing and then like very extreme thrust into adulthood, you would not be the person that you are right now. I would not butterfly affect anything along with the vulnerability, like suffering makes you human and it makes you grow as a person, even if it forces it and if it's painful. So I think that's kind of, kind of yeah. my take, but by virtue of, of you asking that question, Gerard, I'm, I want to know what your yes, answer me too. is. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. It's a hard question. It's a great question. It's hard for me to answer because I still feel like I I feel like I never hit my heyday. You know, I feel like I'm still about to blow up. I'm not financially there where I am for my team. I'm I'm a big believer in the team around me is someone I want to keep for life and make sure that they're well fed and mm -hmm. they have homes and jobs and cars and stability. And Right now, I feel selfish in that way of I have those things, but my team doesn't because mm -hmm. of the, the sacrifices that I've made. And now they're making those same sacrifices and I can't provide for them the luck that I had. And so, you know, I think the reason why I'm still completing a game a week and I'm still working on so many projects is because I, I'm still waiting for that opportunity. I'm still waiting for my team to be able to, to be okay. And so my belief is 
if, if I had to do it all over again, I don't know if I would change anything. I would have pivoted earlier on a bit quicker. Mm-hmm. I was so rigid from change. I wouldn't change things as as more relaxed as I would. I was very hesitant to make any changes or, or really do anything. And it wasn't until the controversy where I realized, oh, I have to be flexible. I have to yeah. change with the times. I have to be able to be okay with, with some of this toxic stuff that takes place. And it definitely made me go from someone who was tweeting five to ten times a day about my favorite games and news to tweeting to about maybe once every three days. Hmm. That shift feels so fucking good, by the way. Yes, very good. It does, and I wish I could give that gift to the young creators out there and the other people who are still in that honeymoon phase of, man, what I'm doing is so wonderful because years from now, they're going to see that and go, man, maybe I shouldn't have tweeted nine things about how I love Smash Bros or like why the, why the new Last of Us sucks. Like you you don't get to have that that aha moment. <laughs> it's it's so hard to, to really process sometimes. Yeah. All of this is more than the human brain has ever had to handle. Like this, this deep, layered, complex, sheer volume of it all. None of this is even touching like personal life or your day-to-day or whatever. Like it, there, you already have all your own shit. And then it's like, well... Here we go again. Yeah. I feel like we should move on to our next segment. Gerard, do you have a preference? you want to talk about some pop culture stuff or would you rather do some positivity? (laughs) I'll go straight for the positivity. All right. So officially this week, everybody, nothing's (laughs) popping. Brian, will you do a little sting for nothing's popping? Before we move on to the peaches and lemons, I, I do just want to say, Gerard, like, just thank you for being so, like, we're talking about open and vulnerable with this stuff. I had no idea we were going to get into this level of, like, deep stuff and personal stuff, but I so appreciate it and appreciate you being open to talking about it with us like this. Yeah, seriously. Absolutely. Something that I, I always try and tell creators or, or peers is that we're all so in our own shit all the time that we don't ever actually communicate to one another. You know, I think that it's so important that every now and then we all just go, hey, how are you doing? How are we connecting? Are you good? Are you something I try and regularly do is like reach out to my friends and go like, give me your shit. Let me hear what you have to say, because, you know, we're all scared right now, obviously, with everything going on. But like, Taking that time just to connect and say hello and check in is so cool. It means a lot, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for letting me share because I, you know, I know, I know your audience is probably going to be like, "Why is this fat neckbeard guy talking about oh, all this stuff?" But uh, no, no, it's <laughs> awesome, dude. Just please tell me you've been recording the whole time. I've been recording. Okay, yes, I, I, <laughs> I'm so paranoid now. I'm so paranoid. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Oof. My recording has not stopped. Has not broken. It I is still it. going. It's good to go. Great. All right. Excellent. Peaches and lemons. Peaches and lemons. Peaches and lemons. Yes. So, Gerard, we do this segment called Peaches and Lemons that for, you know, indefinitely, we're not doing any lemons. As I explain every week, it's too many lemons. So we share three peaches. This is a thing that I stole from my extended family, which are just three things that we're grateful for, excited about, happy about. It can be as vague and sweeping or powerful or minute or petty as you want. Like just whatever, whatever sparking joy for you. Cool. So we will each share 
three peaches. Yeah. I mean, I'm happy to go first. Yeah. Party. I have a really good first peach, which is that we showed Audrey a breakdancing video and now she thinks she can pop and lock, but she cannot. Oh my God. And <laughs> I've been putting on these like 80s synth jams and she starts dancing. It's mostly like a lot of like robot arm kind of stuff. And she has a like a deadly serious face the entire time. And it is <laughs> one I, late night. I showed you, I sent you a video. But yeah, that video was fucking magic. She keeps doing it. Like it, it's it's so cute and it's so funny. And she will even go, look, I'm popping and locking. Oh, it is one of the high points of my week watching my my six-year-old who objectively cannot break dance, try to break dance. It's great. <laughs> Second peach is because Audrey is obsessed with the Mario universe. We keep trying to find new Mario universe games. And I'd never played Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze before. Have you guys played this? Ooh. Oh, it's wonderful. It's so good. I had no idea. <laughs> like, I had no idea. Uh, I honestly had never even heard of the game. And I was just, you know, I don't know, looking best Switch games or whatever. And I got it. And it's, first of all, much harder than I expected it to be. Oh, yeah. It's not like hard, hard, but it's not easy. It is a platforming beast. It, it assumes that you've played a platformer or two. Yeah. I was like world three or something, you know, one three or something like that. And I was like, fuck, wait a minute. This is not like Odyssey level difficulty. This is like challenging. Yeah. yeah but it's great. I'm having a really good time. And Audrey, uh, <laughs> we did have a moment where, you know, she'd never met uh, any of the, the non Donkey Kong Kongs before. So <laughs> she learned about Diddy and Dixie and Cranky. And she was out playing in the backyard and she was like, Daddy, what's the name of the girl? And I was like, it's Dixie. And she goes, Ixie? And I'm screaming at her, like trying to, because she's like many feet away. I'm like, no, it's Dixie. And she's like, Ixie? And screaming into her backyard, I went, no, Dix, 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 Dix. <laughs> and I was like, oh, God, I hope none of our neighbors just heard me screaming Dix, Dix, Dix at my six-year-old. It was a proud moment for me as a, uh, a father. I mean, you've, ri you've written a many song with those exact lyrics in that succession. So that's like, right? you know. Yes. Yeah, it's, yes. It's not off brand for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally. Uh, and then final peach, easy one. Uh, my little studio kind of music podcasting area in, in our garage. And the internet wasn't working because our extender broke. And I fixed it. And I felt like a god basically that I, I I fixed a thing because I, I, you know, if it had been an easy fix, that would have been one thing, but I tried to fix it. It didn't work. I promptly gave up for two days hoping that it would fix itself. It did not. And then I just went all in and fixed it. And now I am the most powerful being in the universe. And those are my three peaches. <laughs> Internet God. Yep. Those are some juicy peaches. Uh, Gerard, what do you got? I think for my first peach, I've been really stoked about the amount of time I've been spending with my girlfriend and just reconnecting with her. And during all this pandemic stuff, you know, stuff was difficult between the two of us, but we've reconnected in ways that, you know, have kept us emotionally and physically more connected to each other, which Brian can attest this lifestyle of, of creating the way that we do involves touring and conventions and creating all the time where you're staying out late and you get so far removed from what your home feels like. And I'm the kind of person that I didn't, I've never really had a home. I've always been 
the couch surfing type or the live with my parents. So it's like not really my home. It's their home kind of person. And so, you know, I bought a home two years ago and this is the first time where I feel like, you know, she is my home and and we have our two dogs. And despite this pandemic taking place, like it feels like I, I'm, I'm grateful to have a place to call my own with the person that, that has my heart and that just feels really good. That's so great. Yeah. That's beautiful. The second peach has to go to the people who support me. And and I don't mean my family. I really mean the, 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 the millions of people who I don't know. There's just this certain level of connection that I've been looking for my whole life. I'm a people pleaser at the end of the day. I love to make people happy. And I know that I wanted to somehow, some way perform and create and put myself out there that would make people genuinely happy. And, you know, it took me nine years to realize that I did it. But in my mind, it's been the road to doing that. It's been the road of how do I get to the next level to do this for other people? And in the last six months, I've really appreciated that. Oh, I've already done it. I'm here. I just mm-hmm. need to look around me and 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 really notice the people who are who are watching and participating and who are there and they're they're supporting me with their wallets, they're supporting me with their hearts, they're supporting me with with their time. And, you know, that's just something that like has as a creative, expressionable person that, you know, we kind of take for granted because you you guys said it earlier, we're kind of focused on the negative all the time. And, you know, I think it's just so nice to, to really take a step back and go, wow, this is, look at all these people, look at all the things that we get to do. It's a wonderful, humbling thing in the middle of a gigantic, chaotic shitstorm that uh, <laughs> yep. is just always on our mind. <laughs> yeah. And then the third peach I would say is um, my my brother. You know, my, my brother, my relationship with my brother has been so difficult for so many years. You know, for so long, we were just on so many sides. And it wasn't until he became my silent business partner and supported me financially where he and I connected on a level that we didn't think was possible with each other, you know, cause my brother is, he's six years older than me, but he's always been like a tech junkie and a, a jock. Mm-hmm. My brother's name is Jacques and he's a, he <laughs> right, definitely yeah. was a jock. Like that's <laughs> what he was. He played sports and football and all this stuff. And I was, I couldn't play sports because of my physical disability. So I was at home playing video games all the time. And so now that our paths have crossed this way, between our passion for technology and, and news and gaming, because of the pandemic, really the last six months, we've just really found our relationship for the first time in a while. And that sounds weird, but you know, as we all are experiencing what's going on in the world, the political climate of like our families are are more diverse and scary than ever. Mm-hmm. You never really know who in your family is on the left or the right. And for me, my brother and I are like the only ones who are on one side versus the rest of our family. And so it's been really sobering that the two of us can really see each other in our family just because we have a big family. You know, I'm the youngest of five and my sisters all have kids and are married. And so it's like, as the family gets bigger, your role gets diminished. And so it's, it's been wonderful to just connect with my brother and, and really feel that I'm lucky that, you know, he's here in my life and that he is such a strong pillar because, uh, I would akin my brother to to Brent Lilly. Just that 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 <laughs> strong that strong rock who doesn't give a fuck, who will always be there for you and yes, that's Brent. And wants to do right by you 
even if it means hurting himself or or someone else. Like it, it just to have that support beam is something that you just you know you can't miss out on. I'm grateful for that for that brotherly love. I love it. That's beautiful. Yeah, th- those are all genuinely very touching. Uh, Layden, what do you got? My first peach is this morning. I went for a nice long walk with maybe in Vernon because uh, we've just been doing nice morning walks to kick around some like creative stuff we're doing. And uh, we found this coffee shop that neither of us had been to before because I've been living here for like three years uh, and I just never thought to go in. But they make horchata frappes, <laughs> which, oh my God, so good. <laughs> Um, so that, that was a big peach this morning. <laughs> it's just like I, to get out of bed now is so difficult. But then it's like, you get to go get a delicious coffee. It's like, okay, yeah, yeah, all right, okay, I can do this. <laughs> my second peach is I talked to my mom on Sunday. I haven't called her in a while. And out of nowhere, my my mother, who is not even remotely a gamer ever, uh, was like, how do, how do I play that Animal Crossing game? How do I? Whoa. Can I oh, put it on my, my computer? Because I hadn't even been talking to her about it that much. Like when it first came out, I sent her a couple of things. And I personally haven't touched the game in like two months. But I was explaining to her like what a Nintendo Switch is. And if she wants to spend less money, like she can get the Switch Lite. And she was like, oh, I love the colors. I want to play Animal Crossing. And if you have other games that you think I would like, let's do that. And I was like, oh, shit, you got to play Stardew Valley. So I'm like eagerly awaiting my mom becoming a gamer. (laughs) The idea of her squinting at a little Nintendo Switch is uh, just really delights me. Let's see. And my third peach is, I guess it's another Animal Crossing thing. I realized this morning when I got the notification that it had, it had shipped, I did my post-sleeping pill eBay trawl. Never a good <laughs> idea. <laughs> Gerard, I collect uh, vintage VHS tapes because I've lost my mind. Um, <laughs> and I just need something even, even more unnecessary than a bunch of Criterion Blu-rays or mechanical keyboards, which I also collect, which is... I, I found a copy of the Animal Crossing anime movie. What? That's not, wow. Yes, it's real. I found a copy of it on VHS and I bought it for like 15 bucks. Like, I'm fucking excited to watch that because I've never seen it. I've seen stills from it and it looks cute, but like, yeah, um, pretty pretty amped about that. Awesome. So those are my three. Lovely. I was going to say, I've never heard of that and no, now I want to see that. I didn't know that it yeah, existed. Yeah, okay. Hold on. Let me drop a link in the chat. Oh, and the box art is like so pretty. It's cute. When's it from? Did you say when it's from? It had to have been like, 2000, early, early, early 2000s. Whoa. Isn't it cute? Wow. Wow. There's a lot going on here. This looks like fan art, but not fan art. Like, yeah, this, right. This looks like someone's Patreon, like <laughs> monthly fulfillment. That's crazy. I just got a bunch of acrylic shelves in the mail that I bought to display my keyboards. And I'm going to put a few up because I got like way too many of them, but I'm going to put a few up that I'm just going to pull full blockbuster and put my prettiest VHS tapes on. I'm really hoping. Oh, that's so awesome. It's kind of like a Fantasy Island 2020 thing where it's a, a torture porn movie. <laughs> I mean, you know, I would be into that. I know. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, mostly <laughs> I want that for you. Yeah. I also realized that like I own a bunch of like rare horror tapes because that's what got me into it. But like I realized I don't own any like shitty skin flicks. (laughs) (laughs) And I kind of want to just find some fucking weird exploitation ones. I would always recommend Flesh Gordon as a very stupid, not at all. I mean, it's from like the 70s or something. It's like basically PG by modern standards. It's well known. It has one of my favorite lines of all time, which is, I believe that's some kind of penisaurus. 
<laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Oh, that cover art. So good. Yeah. I love it. Folks, this was a real, like, an unexpected treat. I mean, I, we expected to talk to you, but as I said uh, before, Gerard, like, thank you for, for being here and, and just being so open with us. This was really, it's just one, one of the real joys of this podcast is it's an excuse to talk to people that I want to talk to more often that we haven't talked in a while. I mean, I think the last time we saw each other was in the Game Grumps parking lot, probably seven months ago or something like that. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think you were you were carrying, I think I helped you carry a box of CDs Yes, inside. you did. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Full circle. <laughs> but uh, it's just, it's really lovely talking to you. And thank you for, for being here, Leighton. As always, it is a joy that we get to do this together. So... Thank you for being here too. Yeah. I don't mean to call it a very special episode and like an after school very special episode kind of way. Just like it is a very special episode and I'm glad that we all got to be here for it. Yeah. Thank you for having me. This was wonderful. I really appreciate you and both of you and, and the time that, that you've given me today. It's really cool. Jared, where can people find you um, on social media? Is there anything that you are excited about that you want to plug? Don't follow me on Twitter because Twitter is just a, a mess pool right now, right? We're all Delete out. Twitter. Yeah. I would say, um, you know, if you really want to support and hang out, uh, head over to twitch.tv slash the completionist. I'm streaming this new game plus journey and our, our community. We get like, you know, 500 to 800 people watching, but the chat is so slow and so calm and so cool and supportive. And it's a really fun community to be a part of. And, you know, that's where you can talk to me in real time and ask questions and feel like you're a part of the experience. And that to me means so much more than like being number 235,000 on Twitter <laughs> right, following right. me yeah, and yeah. I'll never <laughs> see your tweets. Yep. So yeah, go on Twitch if you want a personal experience and say hello. And if you, if you do say hello, I will give you a digital high five. Nice. Hell yeah. All right, everybody. Yeah, I think that's the end of the podcast. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. Late Night is produced by Brian Wett, Leighton Gray, and Jarek Centeno. Follow us on Twitter at Leighton Night, on Instagram at Leighton underscore night, or email us at LeightonKnight at gmail.com. <laughs>